Well, I am excited as we continue our series on Sola, looking at the gospel. And what a wonderful way uh, to go right into the message. We, the, the praise song of singing about how Christ is our life, that all I have is Christ, and he is my very life. He is the reason why we get up each morning. He's the reason why we come and worship him. What a wonderful way to worship together as we celebrate a bapti- baptism, seeing the gospel on display through, uh, through baptism. What a wonderful way to worship as we come together, welcoming another sister in Christ into what God is doing here at Highland Park. God is good. God is moving, and I couldn't be more excited about what he is doing here in our I am so glad of what, uh, uh, that we all get to be a part of it, that we get to witness it and celebrate that together. And that's what we've been talking about over these last few weeks. We've been talking about the gospel, and that is what Highland Park is all about. We are about the gospel. We are about bringing more and more people into a closer and closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And we said at the outset of this series that the, the gospel, as we understand it in the, in the Protestant faith, is centered around, around five pillars that we see all throughout Scripture. That we see that salvation is all about a free gift of God. That We saw that in grace alone, that this idea of grace is this free, unmerited, undeserved gift of God that he, in his just generosity, in his loving spirit, decided that I'm going to redeem fallen mankind. And, and we did not do anything to deserve it. We cannot earn it. We can never pay it back. But God just bestows this gracious gift on us. And we saw that this, ga- this gift of grace is experienced, it's received uh, in our life through faith. We saw that, that through faith alone, we experience the grace of God. And when we talk about faith, we, we are talking about when we hear the word of God, when we hear about what Jesus has done for us, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and how he took upon himself the sins of each and every one of us so that we could receive the righteousness of God, that is what our faith does. So it's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is what we just got done singing about, that all that we have, all that we are, our very life is in Christ alone. There's nothing that we can add to what Christ has done. There's nothing that we'll ever be able to take away from what Christ has done. That it's in Christ. All of our faith in Christianity is founded upon who Christ is and what he's done. And all of that is related to us. We understand it. We learn it. We live it out in our life because of Scripture alone. As, as a body of believers, we understand that the sole authority of our faith is not in your pastors, it's not in your Sunday school teachers, it's in nothing else other than the infallible, inspired Word of God. It is in the Word of God that we base our faith, that we live out our life, that we understand who God is and what His plan is for us. And that brings us to where we are today. As we wrap up this series on the gospel, we come to the last of the five solas. That all of this is done, salvation, God's grace, our faith and experiencing that salvation, Christ going to the cross and rising again, God's word that has been preserved uh, uh, for us throughout the ages, all of it is done for the glory of God alone. Now, I want us to pause there for a moment, and I want that to really seep into our minds and our hearts, because it's at this point 
that not only does the world reject that we should live for the glory of God alone, the world tells us that we need to live for ourselves. The world tells us that this life is all we have. We are just physical molecules bound together, and we need to live life to the fullest experience each day, carpe diem, do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, and that's what the world tells us. Don't live for the glory of God. Live for yourself. Now, as Christians, we understand that's not the case, but here's, here's something that we do need to be careful of as Christians. Even though, we, even though we understand that God is supreme in our life, we at times can go off the rails. We can get distracted and begin to make our faith about us. I can begin to make uh, salvation about me, that God loved me so much that he sent his one and only son, that God is all about uh, fixing my life and redeeming my life and so that one day I can, can go and live in paradise with him one day. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Our faith is not about me. Our faith is not about you. It's not about us. It's about God. And everything, everything God does is about bringing glory to his name. And there are many churches and there are many branches of Christianity. There are many pastors out there that will try to make the gospel and try to make the faith all about you and getting your best life and getting all the blessings God wants for you. But listen, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about bringing glory to his name. And in fact, we see this all throughout Scripture. And just to name a, a few little uh, um, uh, ideas to kind of get the, the ball rolling and to get us really acquainted with this idea because we don't hear it all that often. Throughout Scripture, it tells us, God's Word tells us that God created everything for his glory. Not only that, Scripture tells us that God created you and me to be image bearers so that he could receive the glory, that your purpose in life, the reason why you are here, the reason why God created you, his calling on your life is all about bringing him glory. Now, the way you bring him glory may look a little bit different from the way I bring him glory in our various callings and skills and abilities. We bring him glory in various ways, but it's all about bringing him glory. Not only that, but our salvation is about bringing him glory. It's all about when the world sees what God has done in our life, how he's transformed sinners into children of God, it's about bringing him glory. It's about showing people not about how good we are, but how good he is. And that all sounds good, right? But here's the next thing. that This is where we get tripped up sometimes. Not only is, did God create everything for his glory, not only did God create you for his glory and saved you for his glory, but also there are times where God allows hardships into our life for his glory. And that's one that really trips us up and that we struggle with sometimes. You see, we look at in Scripture and we see uh, stories like the, the story of Job and how God allowed Job to just go through a horrific circumstances of life. And Job isn't given any reason for it other than it's for God's glory. We see Jesus as he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and every, everyone is, is grieving over his death. And Jesus tells us that he's not dead, he's just sleeping. And all this has been done so that God may be glorified and so the Son of Man may be glorified. Even the hardships that God sometimes allows in our life when we get that diagnosis, when we get that phone call in the middle of the night, when we hear that our spouse no longer loves us, God doesn't cause those things, hear me clearly, but even in the hardships, 
God wants to be glorified because he wants to show that he is there for us, that he loves us, that he provides for us, that he is faithful, that he's kind, that he's generous, that he's just. God wants to show the world who he is, and we are walking billboards for God's glory. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is all about him. It's always been about him. I want us to be really clear on this idea of glory before we jump into our passage today, because if we don't understand this idea of glory, what we read today is really going to mess us up and is really going to trip us up. Pastor Darrell talked to us last week when he uh, preached on the depart, uh, the glory of the Lord departing. And in 1 Samuel, he talked about how glory is this idea, is this word that means weight or heaviness. And so when we understand the glory of God, what it basically means is who God is, his honor, his majesty, the very essence of who he is, his presence brings a weight about him. That you can feel God as he comes into your life. There's this, you can feel his presence as he's moving and working in your life. I don't know if you've ever experienced when you've uh, maybe been in a meeting or been in a, a, a gathering of people, and, and for uh, uh, one reason or another, a person comes in the room, and you can feel that person's presence. You can feel the dynamic in the room change because this person has just come on the scene. Maybe you think of a wedding where we're all gathered together, we're talking, we're have, having a good time, and then all of a sudden you hear the bridal march and you see everyone's eyes turn and look back on the bride and her presence is felt in the room. There's a hush. In that moment, it's all about her and her glory. There have been times in ministry where I've been in, a, in meetings where we're discussing issues and we're discussing uh, what we should do. And sometimes it's difficult discussions, sometimes it's good discussions, but we're all batting around ideas and thinking. But then oftentimes I've been in, in these meetings where there's one person who, because they've been uh, with that church, they've been through the good times, the bad times, they've, they've shown great faithfulness, they've shown great wisdom, that when that person speaks up, everyone hushes. And there's weight to that person's words. Because there's honor, there's glory in it. God has this weightiness, this heaviness, this glory, this honor about him. And our life is all about pointing other people to recognize and acknowledge his glory. And so what I want us to do today is we kind of wrap up this series and we, we, we come to this, uh, this last segment of the gospel. I want us to really di- dive deep into this idea that our life, every moment of our life is about bringing glory to honor, acknowledging for ourselves who God is and helping other people acknowledge and, and, and honor who God is. And if we miss this, we miss everything. Our lives, when we don't center them on God, everything falls apart. And we see that in the world around us. Some of you sitting here today, you see that in your very own life. That you've gotten away from God, your, your focus is not on God, and because of that, your marriage is hurting. Your relationship with your children is growing further apart. You're making mistakes, you're doing things you wouldn't normally do. It's because your eyes have been taken off the one who all of life is about. And so what I invite you to do as we look at this idea of glory, we're going to look in the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 1. I want us to be very careful as we dive deep into this passage because what we can do as Christians, the mistake that sometimes we can make, is that we look at this passage and we're quick to look at the world around us and point our fingers at them and say, ah, look at all the ungodliness, look at all the faithlessness, and we condemn them and we judge them. 
And there's that in the passage. There, there is, and there's displayed in this letter all the ungodliness that you're going to see out in the world. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss as the body of Christ. I don't want you to miss that we as Christians can also get our eyes off of God. We as Christians and we as the church, we can stop making God the center of everything that we do. And if we do that as individual Christians or as the church, we can end up in the very same situations that we see out in the world. And so as Paul, as he's writing to the uh, Christians there in Rome, he starts, we're going to begin in verse 16, and this is what he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it is the uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And here Paul is basically, he's starting off his preamble to this magnum opus of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This gospel that we've been talking about for the last five weeks, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this at all. Because I know that in the gospel, it has the power to salvation for anyone who believes. That this gospel is the only hope for mankind. That there is salvation in no other name and all, uh, under heaven by which people can be saved. It is through Jesus Christ and the good news, the gospel that Jesus proclaims, and that we are invited to, to be ambassadors for, to proclaim to this dark world. It's in that gospel that salvation is experienced. But Paul goes a step further. He also says, not only is it the power to salvation, but it is in this gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, one uh, scholar uh, translates this as uh, um, the, the uh, God-like righteousness, this idea that the only way that our lives can be reconciled, can be brought back, in, back into the center of God's will is through us living out the gospel each and every day. Listen, the gospel is not something that you just believe one time and you get saved and then you can live life however you want to live. You preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. As the song that we just sang uh, mentioned, uh, All I have is Christ. Each and every day, my life is lived for Christ. It is only in his strength that I'm able to live the life that God has called me to live. Paul says, that's the power of the gospel. And that's why he's not ashamed. And that's why we can't be ashamed either. It's the gospel that points not to us. It's not that we've earned this. The gospel in my life and in your life It all points to God because it's all about his glory, not us. Notice what else Paul goes on to say. He goes into uh, verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, there's a couple things that we need to note in this passage. First of all, let me just say that we shy away from the wrath of God far too much. Listen, I understand that it, it, we, it's easier to, to think of God as loving, as gracious, as kind. But listen, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel teaches the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a good thing. Because you know what? When we look at the world and we see injustice, we see hurt, we see uh, uh, people being victimized, we see things, I see things that break my heart. And I'm going to be honest, I see things that go on out in the world that make me angry. And you know what? I'm not ashamed that those things make me angry. There are some things that that we as mankind have done. There are things that we see all over the world today that should make us angry. 
And we can list a whole bunch of things that, that we can all collectively, I believe, uh, agree on that should make us angry. When we hear of the countless unborn children that are aborted every single year, that should not just make you sad, that should make you angry. When you hear about children being indoctrinated with all kinds of sinfulness and depravity and all sorts of things that are leading them further and further away from God, that shouldn't just make you sad. That should make you angry. The wrath of God is, is that God is angered at sin. And the things that hurt us, his children, make him angry. If you hurt my kids, I'm going to be angry. If you hurt God's kids, he's going to be angry. And so the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of the world. Now we need to pause and understand what that idea of godliness is because it's so easy for me to see your sin or for you to see my sin, but it's very hard for me to see my sin and for you to see your sin. It's fun and easy for us to point our fingers and look down our nose at other people, but we need to understand what this idea of God, ungodliness that Paul's talking about here. This word ungodliness is, is the Greek word asebes. And asebes basically means the ah part means no. The sebes means worship. It means to not worship God. So what Paul is saying here is when he says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, it means the wrath of God is revealed against all those who do not have God as the center of their life, who do not worship God. Now, I'm not talking about coming here on Sunday mornings and worshiping. It's not as though uh, this, uh, this act of coming together and singing some songs here one day a week is what's going to keep the wrath of God away. That's not what it's about. See, every single thing that we do, Every word that we speak, every thought in our life, every action from, from uh, day to day, moment to moment, should be about bringing God glory, pointing the world to God, showing who God is, how loving he is, how generous he is, how kind he is. And when our life is not about God, when our life begins to be bent and turned inward and it's about me, or it's about something else or someone else other than God, then that is ungodliness. And it's that that angers God. Now, why would that anger God? The reason it angers God, and this is what Paul is going to flesh out in the next few verses, is when you take God out off the throne of, the, of your heart, off the throne of your life, and you replace him with something else, then everything else in your life falls apart because you were created to glorify him. So I want you to notice what he says next. He says, and unrighteousness of men. So all, the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, here's what Paul is getting at here. The argument he's making. He says, every single person has ample evidence of God. You can see it displayed throughout all of creation. You can see it in all the things that God has made. You can see his fingerprints. You can see his handiwork. You can see his power and his might. 
Not only that, but you can see that God has written his moral law in the human heart. Every person knows murder is wrong. They know stealing is wrong. We understand that there is a conscience. God has given each and every one of us a conscience that pricks our hearts and pricks our minds when we do what is wrong, guiding us back to him. Every person has ample evidence of who God is, but Paul says they suppress that truth with unrighteousness. Listen, People are not born atheists. They are taught to be atheists. There is plenty evidence for God. God wants us to know who he is and what he is like. And so he has displayed that for all people, but they have rejected that. Not only they have rejected that, we have rejected that. We were in the same predicament of other people that Paul describes here in just a few moments. So we cannot point our fingers at any one of them because they are just like us and we are just like them. We were running from God and maybe their sin looks a little bit different than mine, but we were all in the same boat of not giving God the glory. In fact, notice what Paul says here next. He says, they were without excuse because although they knew God, they did not, catch that line, glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made in the likeness of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. He says, once they stopped glorifying God, once their lives stopped being all around, all about God and centered on God, then they became foolish. All of sin stems from this idea that we don't recognize God as who he is. When God stops being God, then man can start being God. And when man starts being God, what is wise begins looking foolish, and what is foolish begins looking like wisdom. And we could stand here and we could point our fingers at all the foolishness and craziness in the world, and I would be right there along with you because when I look at the things that are going on in the world and when I see the direction that the world is going, I think the world is insane. The world is going crazy. None of it makes any sense, and it's all because they stopped acknowledging God as God. They stopped recognizing and giving thanks to the Creator who's made all of this. But again, I don't want us to direct our attention at those in the world. I want us to guard our own lives because I am convinced that we as the body of Christ can get in the exact same situation if we as Christians and if we as the church forget that it's all about God. If we go along and we, we, we are now uh, moving in a direction that it's all about ministries, keeping these ministries open and these ministries are building uh, b- bigger and better buildings or accra- attracting greater and greater crowds, if it begins to get more about that than it is about bringing glory to God, then we are no better than the world. And we've gotten off track in our lives and our ministry and our church and the gospel work that God has called us to will fall apart. It's all about God's glory. It doesn't matter how many people come, how big the buildings get, what kind of ministries we have. If God is not glorified, then we are wasting our time. And so it's all about the glory of God. And what looks like wisdom could be foolishness if it's not directed at God. 
I don't care what kind of fads and trends are going on and what looks like the latest and greatest parenting technique or ministry technique or anything else that's going on in the world. If it's not about God and bringing glory to him and pointing more and more people to him, then we've lost track. We've lost sight. So what I want us to do is we dig into these next few verses, and this is where a lot of Christians can get derailed because we want to look at the world. I want us to make sure we're looking at our own hearts first. Let's take the plank out of our own eye before we start trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye. So notice what he says here in verse 18. I'm I'm sorry, not verse 18. Uh, Jump down real quick to verse 24. It says, therefore, in light of what he's just said, in light of how uh, people have stopped honoring God and, and keeping God at the center of their life, notice he says, therefore, in light of that, God gave them over. It says, God has given them over to uncleanliness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, if you highlight or underline your your Bible, I want to encourage you to highlight or underline that phrase, God gave them over. Because that is a phrase that over and over and over again in chapter one here of Romans, you're going to see. And whenever God's word repeats something over and over and over again, you need to take note. Because here's what's going on that Paul's trying to draw our attention to. He says, when God is no longer the center of everything you do, when you take God out of the center of your life, out of the center of your marriage, out of the center of your homes, of your church, of whatever it may be, when God is no longer the focus, and when your thinking becomes futile because you're not focused on God, God will give you over to whatever you want. See, God is the perfect gentleman. He's not going to force you into a relationship. He's not going to force you into some kind of compliance where you have to obey him. He says, listen, I'm standing on the edge of heaven and I'm calling to you and I'm warning you that there's disaster right ahead. Turn away, get away from that. Come back to me where it's safe, where it's secure, where there's peace. Come back to me, but he's not going to force you. And if you keep going that direction and if you keep following the desires of your heart rather than God, then God will give you over to that. There are some people today, and maybe you're, you're dating someone that you know you shouldn't be with, and God is trying to warn you, get out of that relationship. Don't go any further. But you just have your heart set on him. He's Mr. Right or she's Mrs. Right, and you just keep going that direction. I'm warning you here. God will give that person to you, and it may be the worst decision you ever make. God may, make, God may allow you to make that purchase, that you'll end up regretting for years and years to come. When we get our eyes off of God and listening to his his voice and making our lives all about him, he'll give you over to those things. See, God is not waiting to just squash you as you step out of obedience. He's there to warn you that disaster is right ahead. But are we listening? He says, God gave them over. He says, God gave them over to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 26. He says, for this reason, God gave them up. There's that phrase again, God gave them up. It's this continual downward, downward spiral of not keeping God first. Gave them over to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Again, this is just what Paul is describing here is in high definition in the culture around us. We can see it splashed across every news channel and newspaper around 
And all it is at its root is people not acknowledging who God is and giving him glory. Not recognizing who he is. And we could sit here and I could stand here and we could talk all about same-sex marriage and how it's degrading the, 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 the sanctity of marriage. We could talk about the LGBTQ movement. We could talk about uh, how uh, they have drag queen story hour and how it's indoctrinating our kids and all that sort of stuff. But here's the thing. We need to first, again, as I said, look at our own hearts. So let me just ask you a question. Have we as the church and have you as an individual, as a child of God, have you been preserving the sanctity of marriage? Have you been a champion for the kind of marriage that God teaches about in his word? And not just vocally where you say it should, you know, marriage should be a, between a one man and one woman for life, but I'm talking about are we championing marriage where the husband is the leader of the home, discipling and engaging his family for the glory of God, where the wife is supporting and encouraging her husband and championing him as he's the leader of the home, that we're coming together and we're not pawning off our kids on the school system, we're not pawning our kids off on the Sunday school teachers and the youth leaders, we're not pawning it off on the church, but we're discipling the kids. See, we can't point our fingers at what's going on in the world if we as the church aren't doing it ourselves. And so we have to ask ourselves, before we take the, uh, the, the speck out of their eye, let's look at the plank in our own eye. Are we recognizing that God's the center of everything in our life? And are we doing the things, not just speaking the gospel, but showing the gospel in our homes and in our lives and in our workplaces and in our church? I wonder if the church is losing influence in America today because the church has lost focus that everything is about the glory of God. And that maybe, just maybe, if we as individual Christians and if we as a church, if we begin focusing on the glory of God, maybe God is still in the business of bringing revivals and transforming hearts and transforming lives. I believe he is. But I can't point my finger out at the people out in the world, and I can't point my finger at any one of you. I have to look at myself. Am I doing these things? And that's what Paul is getting at. Remember, he's writing not to the pagans there in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. And they were wrestling with their own divisions and their own bickering between Jews and Gentiles, and they were getting distracted, and their eyes were getting off the fact that it was all about the glory of God. And Paul is writing to them, reminding them of the gospel and reminding them to keep the main thing the main thing. And I believe that's the call that God wants each and every one of us to remember as well. Keep the main thing the main thing. So as we look at what Paul is writing here, as we think about the gospel, as we've looked over it over these past few weeks, do you believe the gospel the way Paul talks about the gospel? When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we proud of the gospel? Are we excited about the gospel? Do we recognize that the gospel is our very life, that it's the thing that keeps us going? Because if so, then let's go out there and let's live it. Let's go out there and display it. Let's not just talk about it, but let's show it. Let's be the hands and feet of God, and when the world sees our good works, they'll praise our Father who's in heaven. And so that's my prayer for each and every one of you. But I can't speak for you. I can't make that decision for you. I can only do it for myself. So for me, I'm going to preach the gospel with my words and with my life. And I won't do it perfectly. I'm going to mess up from time to time, but thankfully, it's not about me. It's about him, his forgiveness, and his grace. 
In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. God is speaking to your hearts here in this place. You are here because God wanted you to hear this message. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you to trust him today. Today is the day of salvation. This is good news. And I pray you'll accept him. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you've gotten your eyes off the focus of God and you've made your life about something else other than God, my prayer is God, you'll hear God calling you back to himself here today. But whatever God's calling you to, whatever he's speaking to your heart, you glorify him as you respond in obedience to whatever he's laying on your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, you are so good, so generous to each and every one of us. And Father, I thank you for this time here that we can dig deep into your word, Lord. We can hear these truths, Lord, be reminded of these truths. And Father, I pray that you are calling us back to the gospel. Lord, that we would just not speak it and preach it, Lord, but we would live it. And Father, I know that you are still faithful, Lord, that when your people turn back to you, Lord, that when we live the life that you've called us to live, not in our strength, but in yours, Lord, that you will be lifted high. And Lord, that all people will be gathered to you. And so, Lord, we give you this time, we give you our very lives, and we just ask that you would be glorified in it. And we ask this all in Jesus' wonderful, holy, and precious name. Amen.